like I get up in the morning and I care more about others and doing something for, for a bigger purpose than I do about myself. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. First off, I want to say um, not only thanks to you for joining and taking time out of your schedule, but also to David for introducing us. So once he introduced you and mentioned about your background, I was kind of blown away. Obviously, I wanted to hear a lot about We Are the Mighty. And for those who may, may not be familiar with it, it'll be a great time to talk about that as well. But you have a very interesting background that I think uh, the listeners would be interested in hearing more about. Yeah. Uh, well, excited. I mean, you, um, I appreciate you guys having me on. And, and I'm sure there's a lot of crossover in all of our worlds at some point. Oh, yeah. Uh, same time, same places. So I'm glad to, chat, glad to chat with you guys. Yeah, man. So uh, you started off as a Marine Corps infantry officer. Now, were you enlisted prior to that or did you go straight in as an officer? I went straight in. I was a Naval Academy guy. And went, oh, OK. Uh, Right, actually, I, I joined in, in June of 01. Um, so, you know, kind of was, was, you know, I wanted to get out of a small town. I was like, this is a great opportunity. Yeah. I haven't really seen the water. Let's go to the Naval Academy. Um, and very quickly after 9-11 realized you know, I wanted to be not only in the Marine Corps, but I wanted to be a grunt. Yeah. That's, that, was, that was my goal. Um, and so, you know, went through, this, went through the pipeline and then was an infantry officer uh, stationed in 29 Palms. Oh, yeah. Played 29 bombs, uh, but I was there about a week before we deployed to Iraq, and that was spring of 06 was my first deployment. Okay. So then uh, you spend all this time in Marine Corps as an infantry officer, and what the hell possessed you to all of a sudden go into the Army? And, and not just the Army, you decided to go full-on Special Forces. Now, you were a Marine, so you obviously had a choice to go recon. You yep. could have gone even to the Navy. You know, Of course, that probably would have been a sin coming as a Marine officer and such, <laughs> yeah. but uh, to go as a SEAL. But uh, you, you chose to go the quiet professional route as an uh, Army Green Beret. It did and and it's it's funny for a guy that like I really pride myself on being able to plan like yeah. I, that's all really important for us. There was no plan. Like there was absolutely <laughs> no plan to this logic. It just I sort of it. happened. Um, I, when what it came down to was you know I was I was out as an advisor to the Iraqi army. I'm already living with the locals. I'm sort of figuring out that you know this is not a skill set the Marines you know do naturally. It's just different. Sure. And uh, I had a chance to work with a team out of fifth group. And was directly tied to them, lived in the same area, worked with them. And and once I walked over to that part of the world and saw it, I was sold. Yeah. And, you know, I actually went to um, my battalion XO at the time and I said, I'm going to go go to the Army. And he looked <laughs> and was like, first of all, he laughed and he's like, Mel Seb, you got a better chance of being a Russian cosmonaut than, than going over to the Army. Oh, wow. And literally, I was like, you know what, sir, challenge accepted. Like, you just sealed the deal for no me. No lie. Yeah, so I, uh, I, you know, went through the, um, actually submitted my package while I was still in the Marine Corps. Went to selection as a Marine. Get um, out! I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah. you could do that. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know if it was the timing of it or if I just slipped through the cracks. I have no idea how the huh. how it actually. They, but they let me in and they gave me orders and I took leave to go to selection and I and I went through and got it and and I, it was funny. I first showed up in day one and one of the instructors was always like, "What are you doing here?" Yeah, like what did you mess up, and I'm like, I promise, man. I, I'm like, I'm good. I am. I really am. I just want a chance. And then you know, sure enough, I get to my team later. I get to the Q course, get my team, and there's two Marines on my team. 
So I'm like, all right, I'm not the only one that's done this. Down there, they do the same thing as you and come straight off of active service and go through uh, selection while on active service. No, I, you know, I, I don't know how many have done that. Most most Marines that I've met that have crossed over will get out, spend a couple of years, you know, bouncing around the world sure. and be like, I, I got to go do something else. I got to get, you know, and then they find their way in a group. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, and I was a 19th group guy, so I was a guard guy. Um, and I got, it, it was, it all sort of fell into place because I was, you know, I just came through selection. I got out of the Marine Corps. I was waiting for my opportunity you know, to go on the active side. And the army came down and said, quota's full. You're going to, we got a year. You got to wait a year. And I'm like, come on, I can't do that. And literally that day, uh, a buddy of mine at a guard unit called and said, hey, we got a slot. You want it? I'm like, yep, let's do it. So, and that's how I, I got in. So now, did you stay 19th group the whole time, or did you end up going on active yeah. duty to one of the active groups? No, I did. I stayed on, on uh, with 19th for five years, um, did one JSET out to the Pacific, um, and then you know, decided as I was getting into the film industry that I was like, all right, it's time to be going to the next thing. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, did, yeah. You, what did you? who did you guys end up deploying with the most? Was it, uh, was it fifth or was it uh, third? It was so weird at that time frame. So I got to group early part of 2012 and, you know, our rotations, we were sort of backfilling everybody else. Sure. So some teams were with fifth, some teams were third in Afghanistan. I got put with first group out in PACOM um, and they just, and, uh, you know, it was one of those things. I mean, there's no plan, right? So yeah. uh, they actually, you know, they were, we were looking around the room and they were trying to figure out who, you know, which team goes where. And one of the missions that came up was the Maldives, right? You know, like the islands in the middle of nowhere. And none of the other guys knew where that was. And I'm like, I'll go. <laughs> As a Marine, yeah. <laughs> and I'm a, like, I am a mountain team. I am not. like. And the dive team that sitting next to me was like, wait, what? And I'm like, dude, it pays to know how to read a map. And I'm like, just so I got to go do that. It was cool. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you know, uh, what was his name? Is it McClintlock? Is that the guy that uh, was killed over from 19th? I did, yeah, yeah. He was, um, I mean, different different units. So he was yeah. on the West Coast and, and I was on the East Coast. Um, but yeah, a new, new uh, and his team leader too. Had a chance to meet him. Yeah, I, I remember that uh, coming about and that was several years ago. And I knew a lot of the guys on active duty were very well connected with him as well. yeah. It's a, I mean, you guys know it's a small community and, yeah. and you serve a lot of points and a lot of people train each other and, and, you know, and, and the guard is a weird beast too. Cause you're sort of, you're, you're getting called all the time to just kind of be, you know, it's like going up to the varsity team, like, yeah. Hey, we got a spot, we need you. And so you're like, all right, I got to be ready all the time. Um, it was a weird world. My, my wife was kind of like, what do you really, what do you do? And I'm like, <laughs> I, I just go when, when I need to go. So. You know, a lot of people don't know that about the guard units, uh, especially when it comes to special operations like that. Uh, you know, they, they usually just think, okay, you're one week in a month, two weeks a year. They don't realize, especially, well, maybe a lot more now realize it because of, you know, what's happened in the last 10 years or so. But, you know, for the longest time, um, it, it was, you know, guard was just one week in a month, two weeks a year type of drill. And yeah. that was it. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I thought I was getting into when I did it, and and I realized very quickly that you could deploy you know a lot more if you wanted to, um, and that's kind of where it came down for me too. I was like, I was just getting to the end of my team time, and I'm like, if I'm going to do this and I've got to make it a career, um, I was actually offered a job down in Bragg, and my wife and I live had at that point we're living in Los Angeles, and I'm like. I don't think I'm ready to go back to Bragg. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to try to <laughs> yeah. so, Good for you. Uh, so I, uh, I decided to, to move on to the next phase. 
So Chase, when you when you was in the guard, was was you full time or I'm just trying to relate it to what we have in the UK. So yeah. I I think the guard is like the reserves. Is that right? Yeah, it's it's really similar. Um, so are so, you full time in the guard or are you do you have a normal job and just like Robert said, one weekend a a month and two weeks? At, when I was in, it was for me it was it was pretty much full time. I went on for about a year. A little over a year full time, got through my J sets, took a year off, and I mean I was still going and showing and kind of going up, but I wasn't deploying in that phase. And then um, that last year, I did about six months on and decided like I and I had a job at that point. I could, just couldn't bounce both. But fine. you weren't in a uh, what we call an AGR status, which is active guard reserve type of status, no, 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 and no, th- and that's probably more of what you're describing, um, yeah. Scott, because in the AGR program, they're active guard reservist uh individuals that usually their role or primary role is to help support the stand-up and operations on a daily basis for uh, guard reserve units and um and then they have the one week in a month and two weeks uh, a year who have a normal job type of thing so it sounds like uh, chase in your case you were more of a one week in a month two weeks a year but you end up having more of an active contract for a long period of time just because of all your training and deployments yeah and such. It, it would either be training or they would come on and say hey you guys got you know you're being tasked to do this mission and so i'd come on six weeks eight weeks before prep plan get everything kind of set up and then go out come out you know, tie down and, and, and go off to the next thing. Yeah. We've, we've got something similar in the UK, um, particularly now as they're trying to integrate the reserves more into the, the active duty side of it, if you like. But I, th- I think I, ju- I want to touch on the selection process because yeah. it's something I didn't know about until Robert and I were talking about it um, this week, that you're pretty much limited within your branches of only going the, um, the soft route within that branch. And that's something we don't really do in the UK. So we, we've, we've kind of got, um, we've got soft elements as you guys um, consider it with like um, Pathfinder platoon and, and things like that. And then we've got the special forces side of it with the SAS and the SBS, but they, they're open, open selection. So you can be from any branch and put down, apply for selection and then go on selection. And I, I was quite shocked when Robert said that it's predominantly Marines go recon and uh, Navy yeah. go seals and, army go greenberries and it it kind of for me i i I struggle with that a little bit because you're limiting you should use your best people in your best jobs and you shouldn't limit people because each each soft or special forces element within the u.s i guess does slightly different things so you may have somebody you'd almost put in a, a a round peg in a square hole because that's the only option you've got whereas as as a marine for example you may be better off in Green Berets, because you like you you was doing chase, you know, living with locals in Iraq and things, and you suit the more uh, the the SF side of it as opposed to recon or or SEAL side of things. So I just struggle with having that limited view. Really, I, th- I thought as a military, you'd be a little bit more open minded and have the ability to people to easily interact into whichever element they wanted to go for well now we have the new one you know we have the uh, the space rangers and everything I, so i yeah. know that too i'm like yeah. who gives a go for that right yeah I, man I, I, oh my goodness i can't wait to become the space door gunner i want to yeah. be the first i saw that photo that somebody put out there i don't know who put that out there but it was you know brilliant i i but you know i think there's uh as funny as it may sound and everybody's making jokes of it and everything there is going to come a time where 
people are going to get tired of these resources and this earth and we're going to go out into space and somebody's going to claim a certain planet or claim something like that and as ridiculous as it may sound right now today 50 years from now they won't be laughing about it, or 100 years yeah. who knows i mean it's a real thing yeah yeah absolutely i know it sounds hokey and stuff but uh, aj can aim higher <laughs> and then there's aim higher. wow so you covered uh, two very different roles as a leader, Chase, while you were on active duty. And so you were the role of an infantry officer, but uh, which is more of a conventional forces military type of, of leader. And then you go into, you know, Green Beret or Special Forces on the Army side of it, which has a very different mission and objective. And uh, I'm just curious to know from that as a leader, you know, what were some of the differences that you or challenges you found in blending or moving between those two types of organizations? Yeah, I mean, there are very different types of leadership styles, um, but there's also some things that I, you know, I thought translated really well. I mean, the Marine Corps, I mean, that's an organization that's built from the bottom up uh, and everything's about the, the riflemen. And so, you know, going in as a platoon commander, you know, you're the last one to eat. You're always walking the lines. The guys, you know, on the, that are the grunts, you know, it's them first. So um, it's a very subservient leadership model, mm-hmm. um, which is not to say that the you know other services don't think like that. It's just, it, but it, it's part it's of different. the daily. Yeah, it's just ingrained in, in in who you are. And and I had a pretty interesting you know challenge when I met my first platoon. I was a combat replacement lieutenant, so uh, I met the platoon um, actually on a rooftop uh, in a place in Western Alambar. So. You know, they looked at me and pretty much said, what are you doing here? And like, you know, we really don't need you. Um, and, I, and I took that really seriously. I said, look, this is, you know, I understand my role here, you know, and the infantry officers give you guys the plan to get as many assets as I can get to make sure that you can do your job. Um, and at the end of the day, like, you know, I got a radio, you know, as much as as much as everybody thinks the Marine, you know, the Marines are everybody wants to get behind the rifle, which you do. I learned very quickly that like being able to talk on the radio is a big part of my job. Um, and it's not, it's not the sexy part of it. It's, it's being clear and level headed and getting all the stuff you need and all that. Um, which I, you know, helped me translate, you know, to the, to the SF world. Um, because you know, you get to a team there and you realize very quickly, especially as the officer, right? You're the, you normally don't have as much time as everybody else. And you realize that everyone else is more qualified than you immediately. They have more experience and you're in charge and there are people definitely telling you in charge and you're the one that when you go out and there's no other units around, it's just you and ever all the eyeballs are on there. So I looked at that and I, you know, I actually had a lot of fun with it. I had a great team. You know, I, I never had to look around the room and say, you know, we're just, we just can't do this mission. I mean, it was one of those things and I think it's just an SF trade in general it's, hey, what do we got to do today? And let's go make it happen. Um, but, you know, the real thing that I found that, that my asset that I brought to the table was was this idea. And it sounds kind of corny, but it, 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 it translates to where I'm at now is, is storytelling. You know, it's being able to find that story that you could put through to talk to the guys, to talk to the locals, to talk, you know, to hire whoever it is. Um, and that got really important to me. And I, and I started learning that in the Marine Corps. Um, because I would, you know, if anybody sat through a five-paragraph order, that's incredibly boring, and you glaze over about two seconds into it. And as you know, as the new guy in the platoon, I was like, "Oh my god, we got to do this with a little bit more energy. Uh, otherwise, people are just not going to listen to the important stuff, like when I should shoot and when I shouldn't shoot." 
So that's that's where I really got excited about. Okay, let's let's figure out how to tell some stories and you know connect with the guys before ever you know ever leave the wire. Now, how much of the knife hand come out? That's what I want to know. <laughs> there are some pictures floating around of the knife hand. But yeah, and that's use it sparingly. <laughs> you said you were the new guy and you had to lead all these people. Being the new guy, you're, you're still trying to learn that job, learning what you have to do now, but at the same time, you have to lead. So how do you manage that? Did, did you find a senior NCO that, that taught you the ropes, that showed you how to do that, or what did you do? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thankfully got very lucky because I had a very strong uh, squad leaders and had a strong platoon sergeant that were able to, to kind of look at me and say, well, we're all working in this one together, um, and would help me get spun up. Right. So for mm-hmm. I spent I spent probably the first month of platoon time where I didn't really say much. I just kind of listened. Mm-hmm. And I and really the NCOs led led the platoon. And yeah. then I would figure out, you know, ha- where are areas where we might be able to be faster or better or smarter and and, you know, start to look at how we would play, you know, as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and we had challenges like every platoon. We had challenges. And so when I finally did say hey, guys, we want to do something different. Um, it wasn't you know, grounded just because you know, the lieutenant has a good idea, which is always a dangerous thing. Yeah. Uh, it was, hey, I, I, this is what I'm seeing. Is this the same thing you guys are seeing? Um, the other part of that, you know, I had a very, very tough company commander actually going to his change of command tomorrow. He's, a, he's, he's turning over battalion command. Nice. Um, nice. And, you know, it's, his, his advice to me was, was – rock solid day one before I ever showed up he said you don't have to be the smartest mm-hmm. you don't have to be the strongest but you have to be the toughest and yeah. and I really took that to heart and so you know that means being a, being awake when you know getting up in the middle of the night and making sure you know the lion's hell making sure people get fed being the last one to eat being the last one to go to sleep when you can like it's just kind of doing the the hard stuff and the little stuff that nobody really likes to do but doing it because you know at the end of the day, like it's it's what has to be done. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. everybody in the platoon filling sa- sandbags, including me. That's the way it works. Nice. So I really took that to, to heart. Chase, I think you bring forward a, a really great concept that not a whole lot of leadership uh, always take into consideration. And mm-hmm. uh, I recall this from one of the uh, team sergeants that I had working with me when I first came to a uh, 10th group, and he said, "Never cease the opportunity to shut up and just listen and learn." Yeah. And, and it's true because, I mean, as a new leader, you know, you can't just come in on there and be like, okay, I'm going to change this, I'm going to change this. Like, and yeah. guys are like, guys and gals do that a lot in, in certain aspects I've seen, and I've seen that go really, really bad. But the guys and gals that come in as a leader and really take the time to learn and understand how people operate and, uh, you know, function with each other and how certain things go about in a daily fashion – makes a huge difference so that way you can figure out how you can either assimilate or what things honestly actually need efficiently changed yeah, yeah exactly and you know and I, you know I, you struggle with it too as a leader right because you're constantly getting pressure from to do things or make things happen and it's sort of counterintuitive to say if I actually slow down and think about this for a second right. I, I achieve more than just jumping right into it you know mm-hmm. so. nope so you said that uh, the storytelling helped you make that transition to what happened after active uh, service and after you came back from deployment and everything. So I want to jump into that because here you yeah. are, you go from Marine, 
you know, Marine Corps infantry officer, and I'm trying to paint this picture, you kind of maybe you slow down a little bit or maybe not when you go into the SF community and such. But all of a sudden you jump out of that and you really go to something like a fish out of water, which is filmmaking and uh, and writing. So how did that happen? Well, uh, like I said, there's no plan, right? Like yeah. this is for for the guy that talks about plans. Like I didn't ever think that was. I didn't. I didn't ever really think it was on the table, right? I always saw that like the Hollywood, you know, movie business. Like that's not something I can. That do. stuff seals do. So that's that what I was wondering. Yeah. yeah, right. Like, and you know, at least he has the hair for it, though. Yeah, <laughs> I'm finally growing it out. Um, but, you know, what it really came down to is my, my team sergeant, who's one of my really good friends, and it just happened naturally. His, his name's Terry Schapper. Um, he was a former 10th group guy. Um, so it's me and Terry uh, that are paired up together. And That's Terry's an actor. And, yeah, you guys, <laughs> all right, so I don't have to tell you. I'll, I don't have to tell you any of the – you already know. Um, but Terry, you know, he was an actor. He's working on the side while he's doing his SF stuff. And he, you know, really walked me through the business side. And I listened because I just hear you know, how he's doing his shows and all this stuff. And I was like, that seems really cool. And I got a chance to learn a lot, a lot you know, about how he was doing it. And, and I kind of, and one day I was like, you could do that. And he's like, dude, yeah, you could totally do that. I mean, it's just, you know, it's planning. It's putting teams together. He's like, you could figure that out. So, you know naively i was like i'm gonna go i'm gonna go do that i'm gonna go do that for a business and uh i kind of jumped into it you know and i i realized really quickly I, I didn't go to film school you know i didn't i didn't sit down and like i didn't take a course on how to do filmmaking which you know not to say that you should do this you should definitely go to film school if you have the opportunity to go to film school it helps you um but i looked at it and said you know storytelling and for me it was a it was a documentary um, I took stories that I knew that were powerful and I knew that were important and I knew people that had the skills to use the cameras and do the sound and you know, put it together. Just built a team and, and my first one, I just said, I'm just going to go make a film. And I got lucky because you know, National Geographic gave me a green light to go to go do it. And I, and I did it. Kind of the rest That's is history. Awesome. It, it really, yeah. it really yeah. is awesome. I mean, but what you did is you used a lot of your leadership skills. It sounds like to mm-hmm. be able to put together the right people who understood where their roles were and how they could help support your weaknesses. Uh, but there's a lot of people out there, as you know, that are creating these indie films, indie music, and these offshoot things, writing books and stuff like that without going through publishing agencies, because um, that's kind of the wave, that the standard way of doing things. They're still trying to, obviously, big organizations, they're still trying to force people within the box. But there's a lot of that, that like yourself, that are kind of off the grid, um, that are learning ways to maneuver through the, the different uh, ways to get your, your voice heard. Yeah, and it's it's not like it's you know it's that much of a jump when you when you talk about I mean leadership and being on the teams and and all that I mean there's creativity everywhere we just don't mm-hmm. think that and so translating that skill set out into the in the private sector it's not that big of a leap you know and the other part of this that I thought was you know was really powerful about you know the strategic aspect of this you know I would just I hear the frustration you know especially on the guys on the team that would say you know people don't understand us they don't understand what we're doing on here they don't get it and. And my question back was, well, how do you expect them to know about it if you don't tell the story? Mm. And, you know, and there's different types of stuff. There's bad stories and good stories, but you got to entertain people first. So, and I'm like, God, there's got to be a better way to tell our own stories. And that's what got me 
kind of down this route, and I've you know, just been diving into it ever since. So you bring up a really good point again, and I talked to Jen Paquette about this yeah. you know, when I was joining the uh, Green Beret Foundation, was there's silent professionals and then there's quiet professionals. And, you know, basically we've all, as SF guys, been silent. And, th- and there's guys that are kind of hating on us, I think, of the uh, older generation that are like, oh, you guys are trying to be too Hollywood. But I don't really think so. I think it's more so we just need to get like that exposure out there so people understand what's going on on our end of the spectrum that we're not just out there, you know, being grunts or whatever. And, you know, and just, you know, busting indoors or whatever, but there's, there's a human aspect to all that we're doing as well too. Yeah, that's a hundred percent it. And it's, you know, and that's where, you know, it, it is, it is hard. I mean, our office is literally underneath the Hollywood sign. Like we are deep embedded into the, into the industry out here. But it's the same thing we would do if we were overseas, right? You plant yourself in strategic locations, you look around, you find allies, you figure out where the access points are, and you you come up with a campaign plan. And for you, for me and and the work here, I'm doing it. We're the mighty. I mean, it's very the idea is we tell the more stories we tell, the more exposure we get for our for our entire organization. You know, whether you've been all services or you know international partners too. I mean, it's all there. It's just you know a matter of doing it. And the secret sauce is really simple. It's about getting you know, access to, to people's stories and, and having the trust to tell them and just being authentic, being real. You know, that's it. So how do you go about talking to people and getting them to trust you? You hear a story and you tell them, hey, you know, I want to tell this story on a bigger platform. Would you mind telling me more about it? Or do you take them out to dinner, kind of sugarcoat things? Well, what's yeah. the process like on your end? Well, it's, you know, I... I this is where the SF skills come in handy because I think, you know, one of the things they really do teach you is build rapport, right? Mm-hmm. It's always building rapport because your security depends on the relationships that you have. You're never going to have enough, you know, enough forces around you that you're going to be able to defend yourself. And your defense is always building those relationships. Mm-hmm. It, it's inverted in this situation. It's our success is built on relationships and being able to translate that into the industry and, and, you know, Finding those stories that are out there and, and, you know, a lot of these things are, you know, what we would look at as people doing their day-to-day jobs mm-hmm. and going out and you know, doing the hard work and, and serving their country and doing for what them is just seems like it's, it's, it's what I do. But there's so much more behind that story. And so the first thing for me is finding those characters out there that, um, that I think could really translate over uh, to the message we're trying to, to say. Um, and, and that's kind of high level. But the next part of that is just being honest, like saying, you know, that's that's where I find the biggest thing. Like the entertainment industry, you know, we sort of have the running joke over here that getting a movie made is winning the lottery. And it kind of is like there's a lot of pieces that have to come together to, to get I that. Yeah. And so, you know, it's it's being very open and honest and saying this is a challenging environment. This is all of the factors that we have to work on. Here's all of the things that you will have to face along the way. But here's what here's my approach. Here's how I'm thinking about it, and here's what I'd like to do with the story. And you know, a lot of cases, it's like I would love for you to come with me, not just let's take your you know your story, your experience, and do it ourselves. Like, come on, help me help me teach, help me do it better. That's good. Yeah, and we do that every day. I mean, that that's the articles that we put out. That's videos. That's you know, film and television projects. Um, we're running. Yeah, we're doing 20 articles a day. So that's 20 different stories, and we're talking to people out in the space. And wow. This is saying, hey, we'd love to 
tell your story, and it builds trust, and that mm-hmm. you know, we're able to replicate it. You know, I think one of the things that you're, well, actually a couple of things that you've just described. First off, you can hear the passion within your voice and the things that you're describing. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, you can tell that you're very passionate about this mm-hmm. from um, the get-go and how you've kind of kept this theme or thread going throughout your whole career. You really found the thing that uh, is kind of your purpose and your calling in life, as you would. But you also gave kind of a recipe as well for entrepreneurship. So, you know, when you think about the entrepreneur out there that's trying to discover their way, I think a lot of the things that you just mentioned are along those same lines. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, and, and I'm learning just like everybody else, you know, but I think, you know, those skills, those, those soft skills that we had, you know, from the military um, really translate. And, you know, if you can maximize that and be very confident in what you, like you said, Robert, you know, here's what I know I can do and here's where I know my mm-hmm. weaknesses are and I need help. I need help. And in in the areas that I have, you know, that I can't do or I don't do well, mm-hmm. um, and you can be really be pretty lethal when it comes to that. You know? I think there's a lot of misunderstanding on you. A lot of people they get training in the military and they don't know how to translate it into the civilian world. For example, my job in security forces, the only way you can go is law enforcement, right? When you get out, however, they don't take into account that you know, as you make rank, you learn all these different things. And the military teaches you, um, teaches you more things to adapt and overcome. And that's the biggest thing that, that I get from what you're saying is that, you know, you went from being an SF guy into filmmaking and stuff. And that is a huge 180. But you fall back into your military training because you're talking to people. You're, you were a leader or you're still a leader. And you're still using those same skills in the civilian sector. And I think a lot of people don't understand that it's not just a basic mm-hmm. thing of just doing a job. It's it's much more than that. Oh, yeah. And I'll give you a, a quick example of this. So I, I just turned in a budget for a, for a shoot that we did. And I, was, I was $70 over budget. And it was because two guys got a, a speeding ticket along the way. And I didn't plan <laughs> <laughs> and, and how I'm, dare you like, what are you doing you got a speeding ticket and I turned it into the studio and I was like hey I'm, I'm really sorry I'm 70 70 dollars over and they're like our last film just came in a million dollars over budget you're fine oh and I'm like what <laughs> you know the margin of error is very different, mm-hmm. different yeah world. and you just like you said you translate it and say look I know how I know these skills I know how to be on time and I know how to make stuff mm-hmm. happen and I can do it and proving it, I mean, it goes a long way. Um, yeah. You know, um, I think you might back, but. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like you're always constantly harvesting new ideas. And, and you're also living in a world there where um, fake news right now is pretty uh, yeah prevalent. So yeah. how do you guys overcoming some of that? Uh, because a lot of these sites, I mean, I, I've stumbled on even military sites that, Heck, you don't know whether or not they're reporting the real stuff uh, or fake yeah. stuff or what. Yeah, I mean, this is so. This is the challenge of, I think of our age, um, and you know, specifically the digital world. It is so easy to get a story out there right now. It's so easy to put something out in the space, and it's easy to to really make it make it blow up. And so that might you know, the team and I are like really, really spending a lot of our time making sure one that that we're authentic. And everything that we do, and double checking, and triple checking, and and also if there's a margin of error where we don't think that it should go out, we don't put it out, right? There's we can we can find another way around it. There's nobody there's nobody knocking down the door saying you have to tell this story right now, or gotcha. you know, it's it's going to go away. I'm like that's not it. But the other part of that is is knowing full well the power 
of a story. And that's where I think we get it gets a real slippery slope. You know, it's it's not because it's so easy. It's often where we, you say, hey, I get it out there and, you know, I'm trying for a variety of different reasons. We know that our stories can change lives. And that's a big part of what we take seriously. And it goes back to the trust that I was talking about earlier. I would never want one of our stories to, to go back to the community and, and have any sort of negative impact. It's not worth it. Right. Why would we do that? We would, we, would de- we would destroy all of the trust that we've built with everybody. And so for me, it's more important about making sure it's authentic. And the other thing, you know, the other is we try to stay away, you know, from us. I mean, it's really simple. Like, I don't have to worry about news and I don't have to worry about politics. And those are kind of two things that kind of plays exactly what I did in the military. You know, I said, guys, we got it. We got it. There's a lot of other things. There's a lot of noise in every mission. There's a lot of things out. There's a lot of people have opinions of what we're doing. There's a lot of people, but there's a lot of noise out there that can distract us from the mission. But if we focus on that instead of looking at what's in front of us and the target right in front of us, we're going to get off mission. And that's exactly think, when you're. I've seen a lot of like our brothers and sisters go into like the uh, the media aspect or journalistic aspect, and it's almost like they've become propagandists against ourselves. And and it's crazy to see some of that happen. And I and I won't mention which agencies I've kind of uh, had that type of uh, sentiment towards. But and and I was friends with some of these people. And have kind of since then, you know, distanced myself until, you know, maybe they have a difference of opinion or whatever the case may be. But I think that that's what has helped uh, We're the Mighty in a lot of aspects is that you guys have kind of stayed true to the fabric of all of us and have helped keep a positive uh, mindset on us. I appreciate that. And, and, you know, look, look, it is a harder route. I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons why it makes sense to go down the, the news route. You know, but for me, there's there's one through line that goes through everything that we that goes out, and it's service, right? It's service is a lifestyle. Like I get up in the morning and I care more about others and doing something for for a bigger purpose than I do about myself, and that is what we do in the military every single day. So as long as we can stay true to that, then we're on target. So I was just getting ready to ask you, what is it that attracted you to We Are the Mighty? Is that the thing? That's the thing. Yeah, I'll tell you. I mean, and you guys know Davis. You've been in, you know. I told David, I was like, I don't think I want to work here. You know, that was my first, that was my really? first conversation. I was like, I don't, I'm like, I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm kind of building my teams and I'm making movies. Like I, I got a pretty, pretty clear path. Like this is an organization, that, you know, you're starting, you got a heavy lift here. You're trying to, you're trying to be, you know, we want to be what ESPN is to sports fans. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the vision. It's, it's be the brand for the military. So, you, you know, so you think about service, you have, you see where the mighty that's a pretty that's a pretty heavy lift. That's not easy to do. And you know, David, to his credit, our CEO, he sat me down and he said, you know, there's a real power here. And I think you know, together we're able to tell more powerful stories. And I looked at it and said, you know, I think you're right. And we've been now running running and gunning on this for I've been here almost two years. We have some pretty hefty goals here too. I mean, that's kind of what uh, it, it's really interesting that it very much fits in because if you don't have a high reach goal or something that you can really achieve to or aspire to, then really what are you kind of doing? And so for us, it's all about trying to achieve uh, a goal where people look at Mentors for Military as the premier location for leadership, mentoring, guidance, and those types of things and knowledge where people can grow professionally and personally. 
and it means a lot to us. So we try to bring on guests and individuals that can have something that can share and offer back to the community some way to help them. And the way we all look at it is if there's one piece of nugget that an individual can take away from each show, that's it. Or if we inspire one person, we motivate one person to get off the couch, you know, to become a, an entrepreneur, to become whatever, you know, a filmmaker, uh, something that's just totally out there, you know, a space ranger, who knows, whatever yeah. it may be, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's incredibly important. I mean, like, yeah. I guess I would have never thought I could do this unless my team sergeant has said you can do it, right? And you guys are able to validate that in a lot of cases. And I hope, I hope there's somebody out there listening that's like, oh, you know, I don't ever want to be, a, you know, I could never make it in Hollywood. I'm like, what grunt? Like, I, yeah, you can yeah. figure it out, right? That's like, already the wrong mindset to go into something. Oh, I can never do this. Well, have you tried? Yeah. Why don't you try it? And if you fail, try it again. Well, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You fell again. If a, bunch of, if a yeah. bunch of kids from BYU can make Napoleon Dynamite and make millions of dollars out of it, yeah. I think anybody That's exactly can do it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, sweet, hey, man. what about the movie about a bunch of people who thought of the idea? Can you imagine us all sitting around going, hey, you know, I'm thinking about making a movie where there's tornadoes and sharks come flying out. And uh, <laughs> come on. And they did it. Oh, together and and then yeah. after the first one, they're going, God, that's awesome. Let's do a part two. I mean, now yeah. there's a whole group of people that they wait every year for those movies to come out. Isn't it crazy? It is. And that's, that's what's so cool about it. Like, literally, we can tell, we can do this. We can tell whatever stories we want. And, and mm-hmm. you know, for us and for me, if I can get the, the message of service out there and I can do it in a fun and entertaining way. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's pretty cool. And in all, you know, and military stories don't have to always be so heavy. You know, yes. I'm working on a project right now about salsa dancing. Like it's really? just there you yeah, go, AJ. be different, right? It could be different stuff that's out there, but it goes down to service and the lifestyle. That's it. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time, I did some salsa dancing in Kiev, Ukraine. <laughs> See, we won't discuss that right there. We won't discuss it because he doesn't really remember it. <laughs> I was was listening to a recent podcast, and I want to ask you this question. Um, There was a guest on by the name of Keith Yamashita, and of course he was with Apple and and helped uh, that organization get off to a big success and working with Steve Jobs. But he he mentioned a comment. He said, we learn in moments of reflection. So looking back over your career and the choices that you made, you're having an opportunity right now to really reflect on that. What, w- what would you say would be the common theme or the thing um, looking back that led you to the point where you are today? Yeah, mm. that's a that's a really good question. And I'm going to have a very bad it's deep. It's deep. Uh, I can deep, edit it out. Yeah, the deep one. I'm going to go with my gut and, right. and my gut. When I saw something that I got excited about and, and it kind of and it didn't always, you know, I didn't really know it, but like. The minute I walked into a special forces team room, I knew that I, this was, this had changed my life. It, I just knew it. The minute that I, I, you know, I, I had a team sergeant that was an actor and I got interested and I wanted to hear more about it, that, that changed my life. Um, you know, the minute that I had an opportunity to tell, a, you know, a story and someone was going to pay me to do it, I was like, well, yeah, that's going to change my life. And I, I think what it really came down to for me was was following the gut and saying, you know what? I have no idea where this path is going to lead, but I'm going to go down and try it anyway. Good stuff. Yeah. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so people who may not be familiar with We Are the Mighty. So, of course, you just mentioned a lot of stuff about media, about films, and all that kind of stuff. 
tell us a little bit more about the background, how We Are the Mighty got started, and um, how people can find more information about it as well. What's, yeah, the, so what's the mission? Of, you know, really? The mission of We Are the Mighty is very simple. We want to be the lifestyle brand for the military. So like I was saying, just like ESPN goes to sports fans or Nickelodeons for kids, we want when people think of military and service, we want them to think of We Are the Mighty. And, and that means we have to engage with that audience every day. So it goes back to the trust that I was talking about. We have to, to be a place where people can come and trust that that, that time they're giving up is going to be entertaining, whether they're reading an article or they're listening to a podcast or they're watching one of our videos. You know, this is the, this is the stuff we talk about internally. It's like if you're taking their time away from their day, yeah. it better be worth it. And that's what we're trying to do over here. And, you know, and I, I work a lot on the film and television stuff, which are big moving ships. You know, there's a big projects kind of going up. And I'm constantly looking through it and saying, not only would I want to watch this, but would I want my friends to watch this? Would I want, you know, my brothers and sisters in arms to watch this? And, and I really take that seriously because if not, like, you've got better things to do. You're busy, right? And so if we're going to take that time, let's do it the right way. Um, and, and, you know, the company was, was built um, by a very successful filmmaker named David Gale. And you talk about Napoleon Dynamite. He's the one that found Napoleon Dynamite and brought it to MDV. Uh, <laughs> so he, he's got an eye. He's got a knack for these things. And, you know, his vision was, was I, I think we can do this around the military. I think there's an audience that will naturally, that loves film, loves mm-hmm. television. Right. And if you tell stories that are authentic, they're going to like this. And, you know, we're four years old, started on Veterans Day 2014. And we've grown, you know, I've grown our audience at this point, um, you know, from very small articles, you know, now we're doing videos, like I said, we're doing the film and television stuff. Um, you're hitting, you know, up, upwards of about, you know, in, in the tens of millions of people a month on our, on our website. And it's because we're trying to build the trust every single day. And, you know, the other part of that, that, that gets really interesting and I hope people will come and, you know, read the stuff is that. You know, we tell these stories really because we love to see how the audience responds, mm-hmm. right? We we learn because people tell us what they like. Yeah. So you know, if we if we're not if we're not hitting the mark, then we know like, hey, that's not going to work. And you know, we're learning stuff about how you know the military and people that love the military and their you know family members, you know, what gets them excited. And this is why I really need I need more feedback because I want to know: mm-hmm. Are we on target? Are we off target? So am I looking for a WATM channel on my cable? Uh, I hope so. I no. hope so soon. Yeah. No, I think that'd be awesome because I think that there really is a voice to, uh, that needs to be heard out there. And um, there needs to be something where people who are looking for that way to connect or mm-hmm. uh, to think with like, not only just like-minded people, but there are a lot of veterans. Obviously we all get burnout. You know, we get a little bit of veteran burnout on occasion, but uh, if there are times where you want to link back in, um, that's, that would be great, uh, yeah. to have that type of opportunity to do that. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and I want to be able to cater to all ages too. I mean, I think one of the most fascinating things and just the cool parts of my job is being able to talk, you know, to Korean war veterans and Vietnam veterans and say, yeah. you know, Hey, I'm chasing we're the mighty. And, you know, the first question I get is what is that? And the second question when I tell them and they say, Oh my gosh, that's, that's really cool. You know, and, and, and being able to connect to an audience that, that just, you know, served before me is really really part of it oh yeah serving now i mean we're it's different and we want to find ways to connect as many people as we can 
Yeah. Have no. you ever chatted with uh, Donnie O'Malley and the guys over there at Vet TV? I'm we have. Sure. We have. I, I don't know if you knew him too when you were a Marine as well. No, you know we there were, we had a couple of years uh, separately, and 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 those guys just made it on the on the Vice Media. Yeah. And so they're, they're you know they're they're kicking, and it's you know different. They have different different humor and, and different ways to connect it. But they, but I'll tell you the thing about Donnie, you know, he knows how to tell a story, and that's what it comes down to: it's being able to tell a story. Yeah. So how can people find more about We Are The Mighty? Simple. Go to wearethemighty.com. Look us up. You'll you get on there and you'll you'll see all the articles coming up. You'll see the videos. We've got some cool stuff that you can watch. And we're going to keep people updated on, you know, as we get closer to getting some of our film and television stuff out there. We want people to come watch. And you're on Facebook, Instagram, oh, yeah. all of those Facebook. things out there. It's real simple to find you guys. Yeah. Type in We Are The Mighty. We'll come up. Yeah. Chase, man, I really appreciate you coming on, brother. It's always, oh, thank you so much. I have to have you back again for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks again for everything you guys are doing. I really hope, to your point, you know, I hope somebody, you know, as you listen to this, you know, you, know, you pick up a piece of information and, and you can go run with it. Good luck. Right on. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. Hey everyone, Robert here. I love supporting veteran-owned companies, and Mentors for Military recently partnered with Skeleton Optics to offer a 10% discount to our listeners. That's right, 10%. These aren't your regular run-of-the-mill sunglasses, by the way. The frames are handcrafted in Italy with Zeiss Vision lenses. Use the code mentors for mil or mentors the number 4 mil at SkeletonOptics.com, and you'll receive your 10% discount automatically at checkout. Hurry up and get on over there to support a veteran-owned company.